That video was our uh, serve day uh, during Missions Emphasis Month. One of the weeks we did, we uh, prayed together, uh, we uh, worshiped together, and we served together. And we had a lot of people show up, just do service projects, and uh, hopefully you were a part of that. If not, we'll be doing another one of those and have other work opportunities for you. It's the conclusion of Missions Emphasis Month, which is October every year. It's not the conclusion of missions because we're on mission all year long. And the truth is, if you're born again today, if you're a Christian, you are supposed to be on mission all the time. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, you're supposed to be a missionary. Now to look back at the other person like, and say what you want to say. You shut up. Because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to do it. How do I know? Because we don't do it. All right? You are called to be a missionary. You hold within you the game changer, Jesus Christ, and his gospel message. And he wants to use you to impart that reality and that truth into the world that you live in. And so uh, I want you to join me as we uh, celebrate our Clark and our missions team for doing a great uh, month of Missions Emphasis Month. I had a, a visitation in a hospital not long ago, a lady, she was in pretty bad shape, and I went to visit with her and, and told her where I was from, and she goes, oh, I know about your church. She got real serious. I said, okay. And she said, I'm, uh, I'll tell you what I don't like about your church. And you know, that's what people are good at, telling us what they don't like about the church. And so I said, okay, what did you don't like about it? She said, you sent my grandchildren to Honduras. And I said, that was on mission. She said, it's dangerous. Now, let me just be real clear. We don't send anybody, you know, into, a, like, like we're supposed to go to Israel this month. I'm not going over there. They're blowing people up. I'm not going over there. Okay. They're crazy. And we're not going to go into a place like that. Okay. And, and we wouldn't ask anybody to go that we wouldn't go ourselves. Clark, most of those places you've been, I've been to all those places. Look forward to going again. I mean, we, we want to go. We want to be on mission in the places God calls us to be on. And so that's why we do what we do. And, and so I just think the special day as we conclude the month, uh, we're still in Acts, which is the story of the early church. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. You can open your device or your paper Bible, and that's where we're going to be today. But I want you to, to think about something today. It's a special day. I sent a voicemail out or one call at wanting people to be here because it's a special day. This doesn't always happen to where much of what the early church had going for it to make it so successful, to align with God's vision for his church, we're doing those things today. A few weeks ago, I preached from Acts chapter 2, and we saw the characteristics of the early church when it was first birthed 2,000 years ago. And it looked like our church today. It really did, the characteristics of it. What do I mean by that? Uh, we came together today, and we worshiped together. The early church did that. We saw it in Acts chapter 2. We've prayed together. The early church prayed together. Uh, we saw baptism today. <clears throat> the early church baptized. Um, we're going to open up God's Word today. Uh, the early church opened up God's Word and studied it. We're going to take communion today. The early church broke bread, took communion. And then this afternoon, hold on a second. Let me do a little panoramic shot. Hold on a second. Okay, get your picture because I expect you to be here tonight. Okay, I got it. I expect you. Okay. So tonight we're going to move to another part of the early church, Koinonia Fellowship. We're going to fellowship together. You say, well, I don't have any kids. We'll have a chair up there. You can watch somebody else's kids. The only thing better than watching your own kids is having no responsibility watching somebody else's kid. And so you can do that today. And then we're going to break bread together in another way. We're going to eat together. And then we're going to wrap it all up at about 6.30 with a sunset drive-in service right here in the parking lot. We want you to bring your lounge chair, leave it in your car, take it up on the field. We're going to have just a little service. It's going to be good time, a good time. And it'll culminate, and it paints a picture of the early church. And so you can be a part of the whole thing today. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. These days don't happen like this a lot. And so you should take full advantage of it. And so God 
has been good to us. Amen? Amen. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Because the world offers plenty of opportunities of something to occupy your time, of something to slither up on the throne of your life. Meanwhile, the Lord's church is saying, hey, this is where you can be restored and refreshed and challenged. You can meet corporately with the God who gave his son to save you. That's what the church is, and it's a good, good thing. We live in a world, like I said, you know, sometimes people want to throw darts at the church. Let them throw their darts. The church lives forever in the presence of Jesus. And there will be a day when there will be no more dart throwing because nobody will be left but the church. I'm telling you, it's the truth when Jesus returns. So it's good stuff. Now, in Acts, the title of the series for the book is called Can I Get a Witness? Because God in his sovereignty from his throne, he saves people, he introduces himself to mankind, he gives us his word to challenge us so we can know him more, know ourselves more. He gives us his word so he tells us what his instructions for us are for life. And then at the end of it, it's like the whole thing, he's crying out saying, hey, I'm telling you everything you need to know. You can look around at nature itself and know that I'm a good big God. And all I'm wondering is, will you tell somebody, can I get a witness? That's That's God's question for this church. It's God's question for you is, can I get a witness? He wants you to witness and tell about the glory of who he is. Now, we saw in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 the birth of this thing we call the church. It hadn't been around forever. 2,000 years ago, this thing called the church was birthed. Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, you guys hang out in Jerusalem. Don't go go anywhere because I got to go. I'm going to heaven. The cloud gets him, takes him to heaven. And two men dressed in white say, why are y'all looking up? He's going to come back again one day. He said, but you got work to do. So they go back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit filled him. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, you will be filled with, with, the, with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the furthest parts of the world. He told them what was going to happen. And the church was birthed. Now, it started out with about 120, well, it says 120, uh, early church charter members, all right? And in a day, 3,000 people joined and it, went, it became a mega church in a day, in one service, in fact. Well, that's kind of nuts. Well, it doesn't stop there. It goes from 120 to 3120. We're going to see about another 20,000 added today. And then ultimately billions of people through the ages, literally billions of people would meet Jesus for salvation and become integrated into the Lord's forever church. And 2,000 years later, from the moment that we're reading about today, approximately, you and I are sitting in this place today uh, 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 reading about what they did because it's still alive. And I want you to know Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back soon. The stuff that's going on in Israel, it's no surprise to God. It's all part of God's design. God knows what's happening. And it it works right into the day when God will say, the father will say to God, his son, Jesus, hey, go get your bride. And Jesus will mount up on a cloud. He will descend from heaven, stop in the clouds, take away his church, both the dead and, and the living. And we will go back to heaven. We'll stay there for a season and then come back and Jesus will rule and reign on this earth for a million years with those of us who are born again. And it's going to be a good, good season. Amen. Now, what does that have to do with Missions Emphasis Month? Are you ready? (laughs) We want everybody to be in the party. We want everybody to have an opportunity to be born again, to choose to receive the grace gift of God. But somebody needs to tell them, and that's what we're looking at today. So, Acts chapter 3, that's where we are. Let's set the stage. This is what happens, verse 1. 
It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time for prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Let me pause. Got to say this. If you're a Jew, you're going to pray three times a day regardless. You're going to pray at 9 in the morning, noon, and 3 in the afternoon. You're not just going to say a subtle prayer. Oh, it's time to have a snack. Uh, You know, you're going to say, you know, your blessing over your food. They would intentionally leave where they were, drop what they were doing, make their way to the temple three times a day to pray. And I'm thinking about this. What would happen in my life if three times a day, not as some legalistic notion, but as an opportunity to pursue God in a deeper way. What would happen if three times a day, whatever times I pick, it could be 9, 12, and 3, if I just take this goofy phone 24-7, put it aside, close my laptop, leave my office where I'm studying, and go in the woods somewhere three times a day just to meet with God, how would that radically change my walk with God? It would make a profound difference. What if the whole culture of the church changed to where we intentionally walked away from everything a few times a day? It doesn't have to be an hour. You don't have to go lay down in the poison ivy and naked and, you know, burn some incense. Simply getting away from the distractions and the noise of life and letting God speak to us. How would that change your life? I'm on a journey with that. I'm trying to figure it out. And I know it's going to be beautiful. And I pray the same for you. And so that's what they did. They're serious. They just want to be where God wants them to be. They want to do what God wants them to do. They don't want to run ahead of Jesus. They don't want to lag behind. They want to be in the circle where God has his hand upon them. Now, we continue. It says, verse 2, And a man, lame from birth, was being carried up, who was placed at the temple gate called the beautiful gate, every day so he could beg for money from those going into the temple courts. And so the temple's a big deal, okay? It's, it's a big deal spiritually, emotionally. It's a big deal physically. This thing's about 35 acres, okay? And it's divided into courts for different groups of people that they could enter in. And, and on, to get into this thing, there's a beautiful gate. It's made of brass and silver and gold. It's ornate. When the sun's going, it hits a certain place in the sky. It just blazes off of that gate. It's a beautiful gate. Now, the gate is a picture The gate is a picture of of an entrance or an access to what's inside. And inside the temple represented the presence of God. So this beautiful gate is the access into the presence of God. And so every day for his life, we'll read in a few minutes, 40 years, this guy every day, they bring him up there and set him before the beautiful gate. And every day he sees people go into the presence of God through this beautiful gate. And he can't do anything. He can't go in. He's not welcome in because he's crippled. He can't go in. And so all of these people go in in and out to the presence of God through this beautiful gate. Now, here's this lame man. Now, in this culture, not in Jewish culture, but in other cultures, if you were born with a disability, they would terminate you post-birth abortion because they knew your life was going to be so hard. They knew there was no government structure to help you. There was uh, no church at that point. So you were just going to have a miserable life. So they would just kill you early and take you and everybody else out of their misery. In Jewish culture, you couldn't do that. It was a sin to kill somebody who had a disability. So they would take these people and set them at the gate of beautiful at the temple so that they could beg for money. That's the situation. The situation is somebody is crippled 
who does not have their needs met is placed in the presence, in the proximity of the God who can meet all of their needs and he can't even get there because he can't go through the gate. That is what's going on here. Now, let me answer a question. Sometimes people wonder this. It's a little side note, but I'll address it anyway. So why is the man crippled? Why are people born crippled? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to pretty good people like ourselves? Okay, are you ready? Three letters, sin. All bad things happen because of sin. Does that mean this crippled man sinned at birth? The Pharisees asked Jesus, who sinned? His mom or his dad, okay? It, it doesn't mean my suffering is a direct result of my sin. It can be. I can bring suffering into my life because of my sin. Sometimes my suffering is because of the sin of someone else. Sometimes and most often my suffering is a product of the sin generally in the world. I want you to understand something. When sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, this world fell far, fast, and hard, and it broke. You and I walk around in a broken world, and a broken world breaks things. And so the suffering that you have, any of it, all of it in your life, physically, relationally, financially, doesn't matter. Your brokenness is a product of a broken world, and that's it. The difference for somebody who's a child of God, adopted into his family through Jesus, is this. You're not alone in the brokenness. Jesus steps into the brokenness. Jesus jumps in the mess with us and walks with us through the brokenness. And one day, he will completely restore and redeem all of the brokenness. That's why we're on mission. Because you and I as believers have that, and the world is missing out on that miracle of Jesus coming into their life. So every day, you and I go through this world, sometimes even in our home, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe in our school, maybe at our job, but in the world we're in, we run into people every day who are crippled spiritually. They can't walk into the presence of God because the gate is there and, and nobody will take me through that gate. And you and I provide access into the presence of God through our testimony and through our witness. And so, Acts chapter 3 is a perfect place to land Missions Emphasis Month. A perfect place because it is about the title of the message on the back of your life guide, the mission. That's what it is. So what is the mission? Okay, fill in these blanks. Number one, the mission begins with a compassion toward mankind. If you're a Christian, you must have compassion for mankind, for the people in your world. Because you are a product of compassion. God had compassion on your sinful self. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross to rescue you, to pay your sin debt. It is a product of compassion. It says in verse 3, when he saw, when the crippled man saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, he asked them for money. And Peter looked directly at them, as did John, and said, look at us. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now what's wrong with this picture? Crippled man lying at the gate called Beautiful. Peter and John walk up. They see the crippled man. The crippled man says, I need some money. And they say, look at us. What's wrong with that? Anybody get off the interstate at Cedar Bluff this week? 
Anybody get off the interstate at Cal, uh, Callahan Road this week? Anybody see a homeless person this week with a sign? And immediately you got a phone call from the President of the United States and you're talking on the phone. You don't even see him. And you don't even know what the President of the United States is talking about because he's crazy. Okay? But you will not look at the homeless guy. He right there. She's right there with the sign that says, I'm hungry, need help. And you're talking to the president. And you think like a two-year-old, if I close my eyes, they can't see me. And if I'm talking on my phone or trying to adjust the radio or I drop something really important in the car, they don't see me and they don't think I know they're there with a sign that says I'm hungry. And while we're looking for the, you know, for our pack of cigarettes or whatever it is we drop, okay, while we're talking to the president of the United States, we put on a robe and we grab a gavel and we think she don't even really, she's not hungry. She, she's thirsty for some alcohol is what she is. Hungry, yeah, hungry for a fix. She's probably on meth. We go through it. Now, I know nobody in here does that, but you know, you have friends who do that, right? I know you would not do that because you're Christian, a Christian who never do it. But you have friends, right? And that's what we do. That's what we do. Now, if that's not enough, then we think this. I may just ask for a show of hands just for confession. Then we think, why don't they just go right around the corner and three of the four stores have a sign in the window that says, now what? Hiring. You said it the loudest. You do it the most. Now hiring. Now hiring, right? Anybody ever done that? If you've ever done it, just raise your hand. Confession. Okay. All right, you put your hands. How many just lied by not raising your hand? Confession. Okay, there you go. Okay. okay. It's the truth. That's, that's how we do it. Peter and John, what's Peter do? <laughs> hey, bro, you need some money. You look at me. I'm not talking to the president. I'm not looking around in my car. You look at me. That's what compassion toward humanity does. It steps into the mess and not away from the mess. Amen? Why does it do that? Why does Christianity, why, does, why should it look like that? Are you ready? Because that's what God does. God wrapped himself in humanity, came to this earth as a man named Jesus, and he stepped right into the garbage called our life. He stomped right into the mess and said, let me just make a message out of this. That's what he does. And that's what we should do. Now, it says in verse 5, so the lame man paid attention to them expecting to receive something. I mean, you know the Jews that were walking by were like us. They're, they're talking to the president, too, because they're not looking at him. You know, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to address this, right? And so when somebody does speak to him, he's thinking, Merry Christmas, me? I mean, they're going to throw some coin on me. It's a good day because we're interacting here. But in this case, Peter and John didn't give them what they wanted, what he wanted. Peter and John gave him what he needed. Now, compassion toward humanity looks like responding to somebody who is probably a meth addict and they have scabs all over their face. We see that on Monday nights at 11B. A, a compassionate heart toward humanity reaches out and smiles at somebody whose hair is matted who probably hasn't had a shower literally in months. A compassionate heart looks at the person who has chased alcohol so long that now alcohol is chasing them. 
A compassionate heart looks at a girl who has aborted her own baby in fear, in love and care and concern. A compassionate heart reaches out to somebody behind bars because they've made a bad decision or a series of bad choices along the way. A compassionate heart reaches out to a man who thinks he's attracted to other men. A compassionate heart reaches out to a girl who thinks she's supposed to be a boy. Now, I want to be very clear what this is not. Compassion is not condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is to sweep the standard of God under the rug. A condemnation is acceptance of anything that the world has to offer. I did not say a compassionate heart accepts and keeps silent. A compassionate heart cares and concerns is concerned because that person is trapped in that business that is outside the standard of God. In church, that's who we have to be. We don't, we don't accept it. We don't embrace it. We don't defend it. We speak the truth. And we have compassionate hearts. And sometimes that can be difficult. Number two, not only does a a real mission have compassion for humanity, number two, it requires a confrontation with a miracle. You see, that's what people are looking for. You're looking for a miracle. I'm looking for a miracle. The homeless are looking for a miracle. We we, we just want to be whole. And so what people do trying to be whole, trying to fit, find the missing piece in their life, is they try it with all different measures. They do it through sexual endeavors. They do it through um, drugs and alcohol. They just, all kinds of ways, trying to fill that void. They're looking for a miracle to fill the void. And some of those, those things may temporarily satisfy, but not fully fill or heal the void. So verse number six, Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. This conversation is not unfolding like the crippled man hoped for. The last thing a homeless person wants to hear is, bro, I got nothing, but I'd like to tell you about Jesus. It's because what they're looking for is not what they need. And you and I, just like Peter, We may not have what they're asking for, but we have what they need. Sometimes we need to answer questions that nobody's asking. And we've learned that in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3. Our job is to share the gospel, not answer all the questions of the world. And so we're not called to tell people what we don't know. We're called to tell people about the one we do know. And so sometimes it's difficult. About 30 years ago, I went to a Promise Keepers event in Atlanta, Georgia, and there was about, I don't know, 30,000 men, I guess. It was, it was really cool. And they had fed us this box lunch. I'm not really a fan of a box lunch, just to be honest with you. Cold sandwich and an apple. Yeah. So we had eaten our wonderful box lunch. And I was walking down the street with our crew, and there's about 30 of us, and Randy, a guy named Randy was beside me, and this homeless guy was standing there and he had a sign that said hungry and randy had not eaten his apple yet i may not like a box lunch but i ate all mine i don't not like it that much so he had his apple and he goes here you go man you can have my apple that guy took the apple out of his hand and slammed it against the wall into a thousand pieces and cussed randy out kind of hurt randy's feelings 
And Randy looked at me. I can't believe he did that with my apple. And I said, it's because you should have given him your sandwich. I didn't say that. I was just kidding. I didn't say that. I said, I said, here's the deal, bro. God doesn't hold you accountable for what he did with that apple. But he holds you accountable for what you did with the apple. And you gave him your apple. So God's got you. It's okay. Don't worry about that guy. And so that's the thing. Sometimes it's hard. It's just hard. At 11B, this last Monday night, uh, a guy came through who had a dog. And, and, and he says, uh, I gave him a cheeseburger. He said, you want mustard ketchup on that? Yeah. I'm fixing his cheeseburger. Pat it down the line. He said, can I get one for my dog? So what? He said, can I get one for my dog? I said, no. He said, my dog's hung, hungry. I said, well, give him half of yours. You know, if you love your dog, share your hamburger. Okay, we don't, we're not here to feed dogs. Sometimes it's hard. What do you do with that, you know? So here's the thing. You are not called to solve all of the world's problems and feed every mouth that's hungry in this world. But you are called and commissioned to share the love of Jesus Christ into a world who is, who is handicapped sitting outside the gate called beautiful without access to the God of glory who created them, okay? That's the thing. Just know what you're supposed to know and leave the rest to God. And who and what you're supposed to know is simply Jesus. And so we have to be people who are willing to give them a confrontation with a miracle. What does that mean? Verse 7, Peter took hold of him by the right hand and raised him up. And at once, man's feet and ankles were made strong. Now, when we read this passage, if I ask you, so what's the miracle? We would all probably say, this guy who's crippled for 40 years, he, he has no muscles in his legs. They've atrophied away. He's got something going on in his ankles, according to Scripture. Since birth, 40 years he's laid there. So the miracle is this guy getting up and walking and ultimately dancing around, right? That's not the first miracle. The first miracle was his confrontation with Peter who was carrying the miracle maker with him. I want you to understand something. We could pretend all day long about this idea of uh, uh, faith healing. You know, if I proclaim with my mouth, things manifest, you know. that's, That's mostly, for the most part, that's not true. A lot of the stuff you see on TV is not true. Oh, I prayed for him, and I watched his arm grow. He had no arm, and now he has an arm. It's probably undocumented, just for the record, okay? Did it happen in the New Testament? You better believe it did. Could it happen today if God wanted it to? Absolutely. He's God. He can do anything he wants to. But listen to me. Physical miracles. Here's the problem with physical miracles. They're never satisfied. You see, if God did a physical miracle for you, you'd be wanting another physical miracle. And then people around you would be wanting a physical miracle. Physical miracles are temporary. Why? (laughs) Because you're temporary. Your physical body is temporary. Okay? It's dying. Good news, huh? But what Jesus does is he steps in and he says, I got a miracle bigger and better than all of that. I've got a spiritual miracle. I'm going to reach inside of you And bring your old dead self to life. I'm going to forgive your sin, fill you with my Holy Spirit, and watch you live forever. Now, that's a cool miracle. Amen. Now, that's what he wants to do. And Peter, when he showed up to this crippled man, he knew this much. He didn't know God was going to give him the ability to walk. But he knew this. God would give him the ability to be made alive. 
and in you, look at the person next to you right now, okay? Just look at them. If they're saved, Jesus is in them. And listen to me, Jesus is a miracle man. Jesus is the one who changes radically every life that he encounters, okay? And so you carry within you a miracle. And, and, and the world needs a confrontation with a miracle, an exposure to a miracle. The world needs to see the miracle of Jesus in you. Verse 8, he jumped up. He stood, began walking around. He entered the temple courts with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He had had an encounter with Jesus, and now he got to go through the gate called Beautiful into the presence of God. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the man who used to sit and ask for donations at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with astonishment and amazement. You know, every life that's been changed by Jesus Christ has three components. The first one is the used to story. They said, hey, this is the guy that used to sit at the gate. If you're saved, you got a used to in your life. You got your past. You're that person that used to. But when you meet Jesus, it changes. So you got the used to, you've got the encounter with Jesus. But listen, here's the, here's the greatest part. I mean, it is great that God forgives us and makes us new. But the greatest part to me is that when he makes us new, he keeps us new. For all of eternity, our future is held and sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're forever a child of God. He adopted you. He cannot annul your adoption. And so they needed, he, this man needed this encounter with a miracle, and he got it. Your testimony is the miracle. Miracle, miraculous testimonies impact the world, right? We've all had heard stories of these miracles, and they tell what happened. Well, I was on a ship, and da da da, fell overboard, and I was lost at sea for you know. We've watched movies. I was lost at sea, you know, for ninety days or whatever it was. You know, oh wow, it's wow. You know, I was uh, flying, uh, doing this, and then uh, these story, great stories, right? And we love these miracles. Every person born again in Jesus Christ has a miracle story. I was going to hell and deserved every second of my future there. But Jesus showed up, entered my heart, forgave my sin, and set me on a new trajectory headed to heaven. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And we need to share our miracles. Now, this man's story is recorded in history, and so is yours. You know that everything we say, everything we do, Everything we don't do, every place we go is recorded in history. The scripture says that we will stand before Jesus and give an account, right? I don't really like that scripture, but it's in there. I mean, I'm okay if he holds me accountable for Sundays, you know. I do pretty good on Sundays. I mean, I study hard, come in here and preach. I got a couple of good hours in me. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about all those other moments and all those other weeks and all those other situations and so compassion opens the door to a confrontation, which often leads to confusion in the moment. Jesus, big in your life, should confuse the people around you. Doesn't matter how old you are, people should, or young you are, people should look at you and be confused about your life change and how it's changing and morphing before their eyes. It says in verse 11, while the man was hanging on to Peter and John, all the people completely astounded ran together to them in the, co in the covered walkway called Solomon's Portico. 
When Peter saw this, he declared to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if we had made this man walk by our own power or piety? When, when Jesus radically changes your life, the people around you should, should be a little confused. They should ask questions like, hey, what happened to you? Why don't you party with us anymore? Why did you stop sleeping around? Why are you going to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you not do the things that you've always done with us? They should be a little confused by us, right? Because when Jesus, the miracle man, comes into our life, he changes things. He, he confuses the world around us. And so, and so the world needs to be confused by you. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever do anything in your life? This is a real question. Do you ever do anything in your life right now that confuses people because it doesn't look like everybody else and it doesn't look like the way you used to be? If you don't, something's wrong. Jesus has stopped changing your life. Jesus has stopped working you. The scripture says that he's the potter, we're the clay, and he's working us and fashioning us into what he wants us to be. And, and, and let me just tell you what he wants us to be, like Jesus. That's God's goal, to conform to the image of Christ, okay? That's who we're supposed to be. And if he hasn't been doing that lately and you can't see any change, you may need to go back to that 9, 12, and 3 o'clock prayer thing and say, God, what am I doing? What am I missing out on? What areas of my life are, are not in alignment with you so that you're not doing your work in my life again? Because when, peop, when, God's, when God starts doing a great work in your life, people will notice, they'll be confused, and they'll want to know why this is happening. Compassion, confrontation, confusion, but the mission is not yet complete. God often does one thing to impact another. He knows what his kingdom goal is. He knows how to accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish. And so now, because of compassion toward humanity and the confrontation that a man had with a miracle and the confusion in the moment, now God has their attention. Now, here's the funny part of this whole passage, all right? If, if the world you love and have compassion toward that you want to be saved, now maybe you have a mother who's lost, Maybe you have a dad who's lost. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who are lost, wayward, separated from God. Maybe the person you work with that you just think a lot of, but they're lost. Maybe your neighbor. I don't know who it is. Maybe somebody in school. And, and, and you wonder. And, and so now this, this series of events happens, and it looks like the stage is set for you to share the gospel with that person. You, you want to know how to start it? It probably doesn't look like this. Now, point number four, now you got their attention. You ready? Condemnation for murder. There's a good way to start it. Listen to what he says. Verse 13, he doesn't sugarcoat them. And let me tell you something about the book of Acts. There's sermon after sermon after sermon. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people get saved. You know what's never mentioned in those sermons? Are you ready? The love of God. Not one time. Not one time does the sermon sound like this. You're pitiful, but God loves you. God wants you. God desires for you to be his child. He never, none of those sermons. You find them other places in Scripture, but not in Acts. You know what you find in Acts? Oh, I've got your attention. Listen to this. Verse 13. 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate after he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a man who was a murderer be released. Listen to verse 15. If This will get win you, friends. You killed the originator of life. Whom God raised from the dead to this fact we're witnesses. You want to you help somebody find Jesus? Just call him out. You killer. You are a drunk. Let me tell you something. You are, you're a porn addict, aren't you? You know what? You aborted your baby, didn't you? You know what? You, I've watched you. you you're a, 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 an adulterer, right? That's what you, I know you. You're a thief, okay? That's what he does. He says, hey, all y'all, bunch of killers, <laughs> How's that, how's that work? How's that going to play out for you, right? You want to get a good stoning today? Go tell your friends. Don't go call them out for all their sins, right? He told the truth. And if he stood on this stage 2,000 years later, and Peter didn't know what the condition of our hearts were, Peter could stand on this stage and look out, and he goes, you killed him. You killed him. You kill her? Let me tell you who you are. You're a murderer. The originator of life, the servant of God, you killed him. And we're witnesses. We got witnesses. Guilty as charged. And he would be telling the truth. You say, how's that? It's 2,000 years later. I didn't kill Jesus. Yes, we did. Your sin today killed Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago. You say, how's that work? God is outside the time continuum. Okay, there are, there are no seconds and minutes and hours for God. All of eternity is wrapped up in a fraction of a, of a, of a second to him. He sees it all, he knows it all, and he, put, he compresses it into one moment in time. And when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he was dying for the sin that he knew you would commit last night. That'll make your head spin. So that's how he starts it out. And it's okay, listen, the truth is this. If you don't, listen to me, if you don't understand that you are a sinner, you cannot be saved. Because if you are not a sinner, you don't need to be saved. So the beginning of your salvation is that place in time when Holy Spirit conviction enters your soul and you have this woe is me moment where you realize, I didn't know I was this bad. But right now, standing before the glory of God in the presence of His Holy Spirit, I realize how pitifully bad I am. Peter drove that home. He said, listen, you killed God on a cross, but He rose from the dead. Now, we have compassion, confrontation, confusion, condemnation. We're almost done. Peter, in line with the Holy Spirit, who is God, doesn't leave them hanging in hopelessness. And I want you to know, you are not hanging in hopelessness if you're not born again. Peter goes on and he gives them comfort in hope. Verse 16, and on the basis of faith in Jesus' name, he's still talking to that bunch of killers His very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given him this complete health in the presence of you all. 
And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as your rulers did too. But the things God foretold long ago through all the prophets, that this Jesus would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. So he gave the rest of the story. Now watch what he does. He told them who they were. He told them what they did. He told them that God knew it was coming. Now listen to verse 19. Therefore, because of all that you now know, you were ignorant before. Now you know the rest of the story. Listen to what he says. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. He says, and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and so that he may send the Messiah appointed for you. That is Jesus. He says, listen, repent. What does that mean? Turn from the way you were and turn to the way he wants you to be. Turn your back on your old life and turn your face toward God. And he says, when you do, he says, a season of refreshing will come. What is refreshing? He sends his Holy Spirit in our life. And when he comes into our life, he brings stuff with him. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He, he brings stuff and puts it in our life. And he refreshes us. He restores our soul. He leads us by cool water. He sets our table up before our enemies. I mean, he, he's our shepherd. He does that stuff. And that's the same message that you and I are supposed to carry to the world. World, you're a bunch of killers. But God offers hope. Through Jesus, his son. Well, let's finish up. Lastly, what happens when the mission looks like it's supposed to? What happens in your life when you become a missionary for God? What happens in my life? What happens in the life of the church when we are serious about caring for a world that we live in? God does what God does, right? Listen to what happens now. Number six, conversion through the message. God is going to say, but Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Acts chapter four, and we're done. Verse four. This is the same story. Regardless of the chapter break, it's the same story. Peter preached to him, and this is what happened. Many of those who had listened to the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000 men. So you had 120, added 1,000, 31, 20, 20. People added daily, it says. We don't know how much time has elapsed. So let's just say they're up to about 4,000. And now 5,000 men got saved, which would have impacted their families. So probably nearly 20,000 people on that day. Now, within just a month or so, probably in time, the church has grown from 120 to 25,000. Wow. Right? Wow. What happened? What's wrong with us? I mean, we baptize a lot of people. People coming to Jesus a lot. It's great. But why does it not look like this? You ready? Because often we don't look like that. And so I want to challenge you today to get back to the foundation of being missional in your world. I don't know the people you know. I don't work with the people you work with. I don't live next to the people you live with. You do. And the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. 
And the same miracle working power of Jesus in your life is supposed to be presented to the world that you live in. And so I want you to know today, if you're here and you've never had an encounter, a miracle working salvation, born again experience with Jesus Christ, this could be your day. How, is, how does that work? The Holy Spirit's really good like this. He speaks into our soul where the preacher or a friend or a family member speaks mostly to our brain. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. And often this is what he says. Hey, it's me, the Holy Spirit. God, I love you. I want you to come with me. I want you to give me you in exchange for something better. And his name is Jesus. And on this day, if you'll repent of your sins, turn from your old ways and receive Jesus into your life, we're going to go on a journey that's going to last forever. That's kind of what it feels like. I can't do that in your heart. The Holy Spirit does that. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received him into your life, you've never done what uh, Jared did and said, I need to be born again today, this could be your day. How do you do it? You simply, I'm going to get you to bow your heads. If that's you in this moment, you simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm the killer that Peter was talking about. I know now that my sin contributed to the death of Jesus on a cross. I'm sorry I repent of that. I want to turn from my old life. I'm turning to you, God. And I want the Holy Spirit to come into my life. And I want the grace gift of Jesus on a cross to pour over my sinful life and wash me clean and make me new. I want to live for you starting right now and forevermore. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for performing a miracle in my life. And for the rest of us, our prayer is simple. God, you've performed that miracle in my life. Help me know better how to share the miracle of you in my life with the world around me who don't know it yet. Father, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to come together and open your word and just just have church together. We pray that you'll continue to do great things like only you can do, like you've done in the past, like you said you would do, and we'll give you the praise for it. You're a good God. God, for those that may have received Jesus today, I pray that they'll be bold in proclaiming that, that they will let us know so we can help them with it. God, for those that maybe have done it and they just need to follow with baptism, I pray, God, that they'll make that step. God, you know the needs of our heart. Help us be found pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.